Dr. Barbara Byers, and we're talking about Voices of the Soul. Today we'll be talking about the voice of the conscience. And if you would like to follow along with some summary notes, please go to my website, www.barbarabyers.com, and you'll find them there on a tab, and you'll also find my blog there. All right, the voice of the conscience. The conscience is a guardian of our soul. It's the guard at the gate or the gateway to our soul. So it stands guard and the voice of the conscience is I guard, I watch. So as a gatekeeper, its function is to keep righteous and worthy thought in, decisions in, choice and behavior, while keeping the unrighteous out. But if the wrong things have been allowed in, then the function of the conscience is to produce guilt, true guilt. We really are supposed to feel guilty when we've done something wrong. Um, and so, because it allows us then to recognize that and to remedy it. Hebrews 13, 18 says, we are sure we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I find that to sort of be a shorthand uh, to describe the function of a healthy conscience. It's to conduct ourselves honorably um, in all things with integrity. We're born with a conscience. All of us are born with an innate sense of right and wrong. It's, it's just an inner instinct but if it's unaided by the spirit, we can often feel very conflicted within. That's what Romans talks about. Uh, it, on the one hand, we're defending ourselves, and on the other hand, we feel accused. And so, as in every other part of our soul, we need the influence of the spirit of truth. He tells us um, how to set this antagonism in our soul aright. So we're born with the conscience, this innate sense, but we also have to develop a healthy one. And the Lord will impart his life right into that development, the one who lives and abides within us. We need to know how to protect and nurture our conscience because we are so bombarded with the unholy in our culture. And developing our conscience as the gatekeeper of our soul is essential if we're gonna protect the righteous life within us. Our conscience is to function, to know and appropriate moral principles to specific actions, to specific situations. It's the gateway where our soul is presented with moral choices that we distinguish right from wrong and we're able to feel true conviction and true guilt. And that's what the Holy Spirit works through is a healthy conscience. I've heard it said the Holy Spirit is your conscience, but no, our conscience is a capacity in our soul. It's one of the organs of our soul. So when our conscience is freed and ordered and filled with the Holy Spirit, it's gonna keep directing us to, to these noble choices. But we need to train our conscience and we need wisdom to come in and to shape our decisions as well. Where the conscience warns us of wrong things, then wisdom can direct us to good things. The conscience awakens us, and then we have the choices. So Paul said that he wanted a clear conscience. In fact, Paul mentions conscience several times. Uh, in Acts 24, 16, he said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Keep it clear with God and keep it clear with others. And 
that indicates that there is some work to do. He said, I strive, not in the striving of perfectionism, but in applying real moral effort to that. In his letter to uh, uh, the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 1.12, he said, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you. Hmm, that's such an interesting verse. In the testimony of our conscience, our conscience testifies to something. And his conscience was testifying to the fact that he was walking in sincerity and holiness and godliness. He also, uh, uh, our Peter, warned to those in his care in 2 Peter 3.17, be on your guard lest you fall from your own steadfastness. You know, we can really be influenced by others and, by, and give in to their persuasions. So our conscience is the first guard at the door. And if we keep it activated and strong, we can recognize uh, the wrong influence of others and resist that. We're not to be judged by another man's conscience, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, neither are we to wound the weak conscience of another. 1 Corinthians 8. So we have a responsibility here toward God and toward others. We can offer our opinions, we can present our convictions, but we don't trespass the conscience of another by telling them what they should do or what they ought to believe. That only puts people on the defensive and the very thing we would like to convince them of, they push back against. So what is a clear conscience? Well, a clear conscience is one that is unburdened uh, with guilt and self-accusation. Uh, a clear conscience is at ease. It's free from undue scruples and it's at peace within. It is a wonderful thing to be at peace within. So how do we get a clear conscience? Well, our Father has provided us with an antidote to sin and that is just repentance. We come and we repent. We clear our conscience. We don't just mull around in guilty feelings. We recognize true guilt. We repent and we receive forgiveness of the cross. I'll talk more about this in a minute. So when we are disquieted, when we have unease of conscience, it actually can be very constructive if it, pauses, if it causes us to pause and examine a, a course of action. Um, before we do real wrong. An example of this is 1 Samuel 24.5. So David is in the cave. Saul comes in, doesn't know David and his men are there. David cuts off the edge of Saul's robe. Saul was king. Afterwards, it says um, his conscience bothered him. Literally, it means his heart struck him. <laughs> when our conscience bothers us, our heart is striking us. And now this is different from self-condemnation. Self-condemnation just sort of issues a verdict on the whole self. I'm, I'm just terrible, I'm terrible. But real conviction is clean, it's clear, and the Holy Spirit is very specific with us. So when we are disquieted within, we need to examine our conscience. And sometimes it's just about um, a false guilt. And sometimes we get too involved in introspection. We're just sort of centered within. That's not what we're to do. 
The best way to enlighten our conscience and discern real sin is to, is to ask the Holy Spirit and to look at the Word of God. James says that's our mirror. So as an example of this, uh, many years ago, back in the early 70s, I was working on um, an MBA and I was um, getting a stipend and I was teaching some classes, some introductory accounting courses. And I had an office on the fourth floor and I was walking up the stairs for exercise, I'm sure. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, it's starting in a few days. They haven't given me the book yet. I haven't done the syllabus. I haven't started doing assignments. I need that accounting book. And they'll give me one free, but they don't have it yet. It'll be a few days. And I thought, well, you know, I could just go over to the bookstore with my little briefcase and just slip one into the briefcase. I'm not really stealing it. And then when I get one in a couple of days, I'll just go replace it. I'll take that new book and replace the new book. Sounded reasonable to me, I'm sorry to say. And that was in the days before we had all the electronic uh, ISBNs and all that. So I think it was probably a lot easier to steal something from the university bookstore. So I'm walking up the stairs thinking this. And I was a relatively new Christian, but I had really dug into the word. And just up from the depths of me floated this word. Provide for things honest in the sight of all men. Came right up out of scripture and I went, oh. The word was my mirror and I immediately said, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. And fortunately I didn't do it. So um, what about the false voices of the conscience? Well, we have on one side, we have um, overproductive, overfunctioning, overly scrupulous conscience. On the other hand, we have an underfunctioning conscience. So, the, as I said, the function of the conscience is to keep the wrong things out, the intruders out, and keep the good things in. And when it's functioning well, we know what to keep out. Uh, Isaiah says it's easier to stop the battle at the gate. So, when we first feel the stirrings of something like I did about stealing the book, I was able to keep it out. When we first feel the stirrings of lust or jealousy, it is so much easier right then to fight the battle at the gate and let the conscience say, nope, that's wrong. And then we live in freedom. But when something has gone awry in the installation of our conscience, we may be overly alert at the gate. We may be way too sensitive about things. I remember one time I looked down and I, I had a pen that I'd gotten at a bank and I was stricken like, oh no, I stole the pen. Should I take the pen back? Well, that's an over-functioning conscience. Of course, banks give pens away and I wasn't stealing anything. Um, and so, but my piece was stolen. So if we have over-functioning conscience, something has overdeveloped and become way too scrupulous, it makes us very easily shamed, easily embarrassed, too cautious, introspective, uncertain. It's just real bondage. It, it's, it's like the gates are closed and locked too tightly and too heavily guarded by our own internal laws. And that is not freedom in the spirit. Um, the conscience shouldn't stand alone. It's interdependent on every other part of our soul, every other faculty. And if, if, it, if it is too large like that, 
it will lead us to extremes. It's what happens in some of these religious groups where someone's inflated conscience begins to rule the whole group. Often, when we find the legalism of an overly scrupulous conscience, there's this constant and vague sense within us. Something's wrong, something's always wrong. I must have done something wrong. This is false guilt just trapped in a hyperactive conscience. We keep working to free ourselves. We keep working to feel better. And we don't realize that's not the Holy Spirit. He wants to inform our actions and he wants to work through a healed conscience. When we have guilt, it needs to be true guilt that we feel for a moment and then we remedy it. Uh, but if we're overly scrupulous, it's constantly just sounding this alarm and it's really our defense to stay vigilant so we won't get punished. That's a, usually an echo of our childhood. Stay, stay hypervigilant. And our legalism starts getting mixed up with all of our preconceived ideas of God as a God who is demanding something of us, demanding performance, demanding perfectionism. We don't see him as he really is, our beautiful, loving, complete redeemer. He pardons our sin, he forgives our iniquity, and he allows us to walk in real peace. So the enemy can even take our desire to do good for the Lord and trouble us with it. You know, did I do enough? Um, um, you know, we, we live in this regret and we're always striving. We have this tension. We've got to know that the past is covered with his blood. Resolve what we need to resolve and move forward. Sometimes we just need to put a stake in the ground. So some people have an over-functioning conscience and others have an under-functioning conscience because they've dulled their conscience. Maybe it was never well-developed. And we can actually defile our conscience and sear it as a result of sinning and continuing to sin. We can become weak and defiled, or sometimes it's just out of ignorance too. I like this quote, many of us have neglected the referee's whistle so often and for so long that we've ceased to hear it. That's a dull conscience. We have freedom in Christ, but we're never to use that freedom as license. Our conscience will actually shut down if we violate it over and over and over. And it becomes darkened in areas where we ignore the light, where we've repeatedly made these sinful choices. And if you take that to the extreme, what you have is a sociopath or a psychopath who really just has no conscience. It's so ceased to function. In um, 2 Corinthians 29:34, the Levites dull their conscience when uh, they didn't prepare and sanctify themselves to serve the Passover. And there was, as a result, the Passover was actually shut down until the time of King Hezekiah. And in Malachi 2:16, God warned the men about divorcing their wives. And he said, pay attention to your conscience and do not be unfaithful. They overrode their conscience because they were so deceitful in divorcing their wives. They just wanted to put them away rather than caring for them and loving them. That's a defiling of the conscience. Another example is found in Jeremiah 6.15 um, with the prophets and the priest. And Jeremiah said, you don't even feel shame and you have forgotten how to blush. Wow. 
Um, so when we derail our conscience, our whole soul becomes disordered and we can end up doing all sorts of things maybe we never even intended to do. John 1 is also a picture of a fallen conscience. John says, light came into the world and men love the darkness. They love the darkness more than the light. Um, you know, when we've sinned, we do tend to shrink from the light and hide. But if we'll come into the light, we have a remedy because of the cross. And um, we see this in Acts 2.37. So Peter had been preaching at Pentecost and it says those who were listening were pierced to the heart. And that literally means they were smitten in conscience. Their conscience was awakened and something pressed in on them. We know what their response was to Peter? What shall we do? What can we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So repent they did. Light came into their conscience, you see, and glorious salvation followed. Well, how does our conscience develop? How, how is it supposed to develop? Of course, like so many things in our soul, our structure is to develop when we're very young. And it's formed by watching our parents and listening to our parents and seeing how, what they model to us and also how they treat us and how they treat others. And from them, we, uh, we take the good, we take the nurture, but we can't also help but take the bad things too. Loving nurture is actually to be the building block of our conscience. I think we think that, you know, good instruction is the building block of our conscience. And certainly we need good instruction. Do this and don't do this. God gives that to us in the word. But it's actually loving nurture that's the building block of, our, of a mature conscience. If our conscience is well fostered, we don't end up overly scrupulous and we don't end up dulled. Some of us have been given a lot of instruction and a lot of discipline, but it's not the discipline of the Lord. We've just been shamed into performance. So anything poor in our parents' attitudes and behaviors and relationship gets absorbed by us and internalized. And then we develop a neurotic conscience. Neurotic just means out of bounds. And that neurotic conscience is constantly warning us, you're gonna be punished. If the standards aren't met, if you don't do right, you're gonna be punished. And we even feel that with the Lord until we're healed. Um, we can think, well, you know, I had my quiet time today, so I'm good. I, you know, I did the right thing, so I have God's favor. That, that's an overly scrupulous conscience. And a child is so vulnerable when their parents put them under a lot of performance. They can feel so much shame. You know, there's times when I still hear in my conscience, uh, you should have done that, you shouldn't have done that, you didn't do enough, you might have gotten something wrong, you should try harder. And I'm recognizing that. That's my own fear of correction. That's my own fear, really, of being shamed. I'm going to be found out, and I'm going to be shamed and corrected somehow. But God's correction isn't like that. His discipline isn't like that. That's just an echo of my old adaptive performance beliefs from childhood. And I've got to quiet that, that voice and I've got to invite the Holy Spirit to fill my thoughts, to fill my heart, to fill my mind with real conviction if it's there. Otherwise, I set that aside. Um, so where our conscience is very rigid and trapped in those early years, 
it's often because we didn't have a caring, nurturing presence. And then sometimes we can't feel that from the Lord either. Our unhealed conscience just keeps, you know, circulating these lies that we believe at this deep level that we haven't outgrown yet. You should be ashamed. You didn't do enough. So where children were deprived of early nurture and the acceptance they need, they're still internally pleading for justice. They're still angry with them. And their conscience is covering that need by trying to do right. It's just covering the anger of deprivation. Uh, the child may have been told, be good, be good, don't be mad, be nice. And we absorb all that and then these inner laws get created in us that later govern us as adults. We don't just need our shame healed. We need that shame producing activity of the conscience healed so it can function well. And the good news is, oh, the Holy Spirit is so able and willing to touch these early deprivations and to heal our heart. So how do we receive this grace? Uh, well, the cross is always our answer. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 declares, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's such good news. We have been forgiven. God's grace has come to us. But very often we have difficulty if we have particularly if you have an overly scrupulous conscience, we have difficulty receiving that grace and really believing it. We don't absorb the true, the true fullness of his faithfulness. I have been forgiven. I'm cleansed. And uh, we may just keep confessing the same sin over and over and over. We've never driven that stake in the ground and say, I've confessed that abortion. I've confessed that adultery. I've confessed that jealousy that deception, that stealing. I've confessed my pride. It is forgiven. We can say we know Jesus was punished for us on our behalf, and we still feel that plaguing kind of condemnation. And that's because our conscience is still wanting to operate under that old internal law of right and wrong, untouched by the cross. We're still trying to be good enough. There's something in every one of us that tries to be good enough. But that old code keeps binding us because we're still wanting to trust in our righteousness, in our own way, being justified by our performance. And it's never, it's never gonna work. We so need His grace. You know, I can be so aware of my past sin and the enemy keeps trying to bind me to that sin so he can bind my identity to sin. But that's no longer who I am. It's no longer who you are. We are not our sin and we are not our past. We are not what we have done wrong. And that inner law can so cultivate self-hatred and self-condemnation that we just keep having this inner sense of violation. The only antidote is the cross. We have to bring all of that to the cross. In the cross, there's no compulsion, there's no violation, and there is no condemnation. That's what Romans says. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He offered his body for us once for all to cleanse us from a dead conscience. He did, and our sin is removed. 
And we don't have to just feel hopeful, you know, oh, I did well and I'm doing fine or harsh with myself when I fall short. I don't have to strive any longer. I don't have to enter, just stay in this place of uh, I've got to be perfect. I have to live under my own righteousness so I'll have validity and worth and somehow I'll have approval. That striving for perfection that has been the organizing principle of our life has to be brought to death in the cross. We have to repent of it. We have to say that old code is not about love. That's about my striving. And he paid the price for me. It's a bondage he really wants to release us from, to know we are free. And to have, to live a vibrant, spirit-filled Christian life, we're gonna to have to have a true sense of what God's really like, how merciful, how loving, how true, how faithful, and how ready to forgive he is. We can be so confused about that. And we can unconsciously believe, well, you know, God's more like my own neurotic conscience shaking a finger at me rather than giving me grace. And I, I was caught very much in this as, a, as, an, as an adult. I had often a, just sort of a heavy cloud that would hang over me, and I haven't done enough, I haven't gotten something quite right. And you know, my dad was overcorrective, he could be harsh at times, and so I found a way to manage my own anxiety by trying to be perfect and make really good grades. I did a whole lot of coping, I did a whole lot of performing, so, uh, and I just transferred that right into my Christian life when I became a Christian at 21. So to come out of that striving, I had to repent of that root of pride that developed long before I understood and knew what I was doing. Uh, I needed healing from identifying with my parents' sin and from that whole family line. I forgave my parents. And I had to receive healing for the nurture I didn't get. I felt deprived as a child. And so I believe, you know, in my deprivation, God wouldn't bring me justice either. God, but he does, he does. And in the deep places where I was really hostile to the Lord, I was angry with the Lord, didn't realize it, because I was always dreading punishment. I was always dreading um, being exposed. But in Christ, he brings down that wall of hostility between us. He lets us know that we're living from a different inner code, and he brings us to the new. One day I was praying about this, and the Lord gave me Psalm 131 that talks about like a weaned child rests against its mother, so rests my soul against you. This is a child that's been nurtured and now lays against its mother completely at rest, and I realized I could let the Lord be the strength of my conscience. I could let him put within me the law of his love, his internal righteousness, and that he would bring his justice. He would bring everything around right in the end. Repenting of our own internal processes uh, brings healing to our conscience. And then we can live with authentic conviction where we need to have real conviction and we can receive his forgiveness. Um, Jacques Philippe said, it is necessary that we know how to distinguish true repentance and a true desire to correct our faults. Not all of the reproaches that come to our conscience are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The feelings that come from the Spirit can be powerful and profound. Nonetheless, they are very peaceful. So we can move from shame and condemnation 
into the freedom, into the freedom of loving obedience. We still want to walk in obedience. But um, where we have walked in our own internal law, we instead say, I want to walk in the law of the Spirit. I want to trust you, Lord. I want to appropriate the cross and know that I, my sin is forgiven and I'm wearing the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness. Our conscience needs to know that sin matters because sin does matter. Why else the cross? And when we recognize that it matters and that the cross is God's answer and our victory, we can say, yes, the demands of your holiness have been met and I am free. God was pleased to offer up his own son. And it pleases us to take that in and cleanse our conscience and be fully, we can know, I'm fully reconciled to God. I am fully clean. So before I pray, I just want to say one last word about shame, because I, I think it's really important. Sometimes shame and remorse just paralyze us. And we live our whole life having pockets of shame, feeling shame, feeling regret. And sometimes it just sticks around a long time after we've even uh, confessed sin and changed our behavior and all of that. And we find ourselves just confessing that same sin again and again. Shame operates like a shadow government. It's in the background. It's directing our soul. It's... it's um, using its own laws, but it directs and governs our soul and it isolates us, it dismantles what God wants to do, and it undermines our walk of faith. And our only answer to that is this confidence in His righteousness that we can say, I have confessed my sin, I lean fully on His righteousness and the cross, and I receive His forgiveness. And then we practice that and we practice his presence and that's how we come free from a lifetime of striving to be good enough and a lifetime of fear of punishment. We don't have to keep our sins in mind. In fact, we shouldn't. We don't have to swim in the waters of shame and condemnation. We are able to say when that shame and condemnation comes, I stand in Christ alone. He alone is my righteousness. Our efforts for striving won't move us forward, but this will. So now I'm going to pray for us. So just put your notes down if you have them and get in a comfortable place. So Holy Spirit, come. Direct our prayer. Lord, bring your healing to each heart so hungry for you. I want to remind you, first of all, you are one with Christ. If you've invited him in your life, you are one with him. He lives within you. And just, just acknowledge that now um, as we invite him to heal the voice of our conscience. Lord, Psalm 139 says, you are the one who comes to search and examine us. We repent of our own self-searching. We repent, Lord, that we've tried to be the Holy Spirit at times, but we now invite you to come and search us. So if you've recognized today as I've been talking that your conscience has really been malformed in some way, skewed by the sin of another, let's enter into that forgiveness. And just say, I forgive. I forgive those who defiled my conscience by their sin. 
I forgive those who created shame in me, who created an atmosphere of shame, rejection, displeasure, reproach. I forgive those who demanded performance of me and that it shaped my soul. I release them and I forgive those who didn't nurture me, who didn't provide um, that atmosphere that helped to develop a, a healthy conscience in me because of lack of nurture, I forgive. And I repent, I repent of any ways I have defiled my own conscience, that I've dulled my own conscience by sin, by my choices, by striving after performance, by my own pride, by introspection, and by any artificial laws I have organized my life around. I invite you to search and uncover those, Lord, that I might live by the law of the Spirit and not by my laws of self-protection. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I release any irrational or inauthentic standards placed within me in my upbringing. I release those to the cross. Touch and comfort me in those early years where there was deprivation and lack of nurture so that my heart may be at peace. I receive your touch. I receive your healing where I was deprived of acceptance and nurture, where something within me is still pleading for justice, and yet I have hidden anger, I bring this to you. Lord, I, I don't even know all the places where this is, but I bring this to you. I forgive and I release that hostility into the cross. I trust you to be my justice. Set in order, Lord, in me, true guilt, <laughs> where I can distinguish it from false guilt and from shame and just from guilt-ridden feelings that are, that are cloudy. Set the true in order and shrink where I've been overblown and over-scrupulous and overly sensitive in my conscience that's still striving after something. Just see the Lord shrink anything that is overblown. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, what Isaiah wrote is true. You were pierced through for my transgressions. You were crushed for my iniquity. The chastening for my whole well-being was placed on you. You were scourged so I could be healed. You were crushed so that all my oppression can be taken up in you. Thank you. I believe this. And I ask you to restore me so I can feel what's true and bring anything I need to bring to the cross. Now what you've released today in terms of your own repentance, just see yourself bringing that to the cross and see him exchanging that for his forgiveness take in his forgiveness yes lord awaken in us a true conscience 
able to distinguish well, healthy and alive in your spirit. Strengthen any place we are weak or dull. Lord, awaken and bring clarity. Any ways we've dishonored or bypassed our unconscious, thank you that you restore and heal. Bring your light, awaken the sleeping places. Rebuild these gateways as we, tr as we trust you, Lord. Shape and form our conscience into wholeness by your spirit and bring your truth in into every part of us. Come and move in our conscience so that it's a true guard and a true protector of our soul, so that it's ordered and awakened and enlivened by your spirit. And if you have struggled with legalism, just Lord, help me let go of any laws I have lived in. Uh, make them clear and show me, Lord, so I can move forward in you in the days ahead. Release me where I've been trapped in the early years of shame, in the early years of performance, where I didn't feel a loving presence. Heal, Lord. Heal. Thank you for all the ways you make me that are good. Thank you that you are rich in mercy, that you are rich in forgiveness, that you bring me out of all of my ignorance and you instruct my good conscience as, my conscience as a good, good father does. Enable me to live in grace, the wonderful, wonderful grace you offer me in the cross. Thank you, in the name of Jesus. Now, one thing I want to encourage you to do often is when you confess your sin and bring it to the Lord, to the Lord, pause and say, I now receive your forgiveness for this. I take in your grace. Say it out loud and thank him that you're forgiven. Well, thank you for joining me again as we've talked about the voice of the conscience. Again, you can go to my website, www.barbarabyers.com, to get the notes.